I'll record on the computer. Okay, cool. Hey, thank you, Marie, for coming today. Thank you for being here and allowing me to sit down. And we're going to have a little chat and talk about college prep because you are a college prep counselor. Yeah, okay, awesome. So my first question for you is what made you want to be a college counselor or did you follow a certain career path that led you in that direction? Yeah, so it's it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so my I have family um, kind of heavily centered in the education world. Um, an uncle who works in the higher ed space, uh, another uncle, my godfather, who works as a teacher, and then my beloved Gran, who worked as a math teacher her whole life. Um, so although I majored in English, I was very um, much interested in exploring education. Um, I worked in a Montessori school in Queens for a little while and was just like, it became very clear that um, working in education, you certainly never get bored. Um, I didn't see myself on the teaching side though. So I went to grad school shortly thereafter and um, studied counseling, um, decided to stay in New York, met my husband. Um, and you know, the, the college counseling role is, is a great one. It can be kind of hard to find. Um, I worked on the operations side for a while, but um, I, for the last four years, have been working as a college counselor, and it's been fantastic, um, despite being an interesting time to do it uh, throughout this pandemic. <laughs> oh yeah, I bet that was interesting. I do everything online. Yes. Like everyone else, it's been interesting for us all. <laughs> so with especially your... music teachers. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, we had to do. Oh my gosh, talk about almost like gymnastics with the Zoom, trying to get everyone playing together is insane. But you know, I learned a lot about Zoom, I'll tell you that. I knew nothing, but now I know a lot. So for you, like helping kids, what's the most rewarding thing that you've done? You know, this is a part of counseling students for you. Yeah, so for me, the most rewarding is, uh, I work with a lot of first generation college students and their families. And there are certain, you know, fears that go into it around cost of college. And I think that um, part of why I got into the work was that my family kind of was going some financial stress while I was going through my own college process. Um, I had some of those fear, fears myself um, and ended up making my own college decision really purely financially. Um, so my, the, my, my favorite moments are when kids get accepted to a college and see a financial aid award letter that's really going to work for them and their families. So not only are they just thrilled about getting in, but the added thrill of like, oh, this is actually going to work and my future is ahead. <laughs> oh, that's, you know, that, that would be rewarding. I, I had a, a friend of mine, her daughter went to, uh, she went to check out UCLA and as she was looking at the school, she just had this sense that she was just not going to be able to afford to go. And her mother said, she said, no matter what I said, she was, she was crying all the way home. So what you do in helping these kids get, you know, access to college and get the funding is huge because this can, is a life changing moment for them and you can change their life, you know, so that would be, yeah, um, that's huge. <laughs> I, I know how that feels. So when it for you when do you think children or teenagers students should start getting ready for their college preparation yeah i think that um you know it's never too early to have exposure uh, to collegiate opportunities but as far as actual prep 
um, having some intentional moves really entering high school makes it makes you competitive. So certainly prioritizing academics first and foremost, but then kind of carving out avenues to potentially take on leadership roles. Um, the college landscape is more and more competitive um, despite declining enrollment, especially for those schools that are committed to meeting full financial need. So from what I've seen throughout these four cycles of um, counseling students, it really is about you know the leadership or like the commitment to the extracurriculars that they're interested in alongside uh, the academic part that will will set them up. And that really starts in ninth grade. So yeah, I agree with that too. I, I think um, the longer you volunteer for something, it shows how serious you are, right? I mean that you're honestly trying to make a difference. So yeah, I agree with that one hundred percent. So Oh yeah, here's a good question. How would you recommend students find a college or university that's the best suited for their needs? Yeah, I think that although they are a little bit um, inaccurate or tough to navigate sometimes, certainly using the net price calculator tool on the college's website to kind of ground it in what it's projected to kind of cost the family before you get too excited about it um, would be like a baseline. Um, and then, you know, graduation rate is the other what we call primary factor in our process because, I mean, and the two are often really hand in hand, like the colleges that have good financial aid have the higher graduation rates, but it signals just how supported students are during their time at the school. Um, so with those two primary factors, um, kind of ticking those boxes first, from there, it's really about um, exploration, really deep diving into the academic program that you're interested in studying, um, visiting the campus, applying for fly-in programs. So you can actually shadow a current student on the campus. Um, yeah, I think that that's, that's really kind of like the jumping off point. That's, okay, that's a really good question. That's a good answer. I'm, I think, um, yeah, I wish I would have done that when I was, <laughs> to yeah. me, it was like, <laughs> just looking for anyone who would take me you know I mean because I was just I just didn't know where to go but if you do your research and you start early like yes ninth grade is a good starting point I think because I, I when I'm teaching kids too though you know they, they know they want to be a music major most of them but some of them don't and so they think that because they don't know what they want to major in they can take their time and I, I think that you can still look for colleges that will fit your needs and not know what you're going to major in, you know, you yeah. can even change when you get there. Who knows, you know? Definitely. Yeah. And so also in, in thinking about like what you need to do before college, I, I see people like, they'll ask me like, should I take the ACT or the SAT or both? I don't even know what to say. What would you say about that? Yeah. So my, the person who I work with most closely, I lead my team with, um, he used to be a private SAT tutor. And I, I actually asked him at work for the, um, his answer to this, um, because at, at my school, we, we offer SAT prep. And so I really just know about the SAT. Um, his answer was that kind of either one, but certainly it's a waste of time to do both. So if you think you're, you know, you have good science skills, then maybe it's better to go toward the ACT because they do ask science questions on that exam. Um, but it's just, it's kind of one or the other. Oh, okay. Some colleges don't even have SATs anymore, I noticed. Yeah, so I guess from what I've seen and 
colleges are pretty varied with their transparency around their admission rates for those who submit test scores and those who don't. Um, the elite colleges that have been transparent, it does skew toward admitting the students that submit the test scores. Um, and yeah, I just think that like the way that we kind of coach the students is that it's only kind of like, you know, being amazing at clarinet, for example, it's always going to be, it's only going to be helpful for your application, even if it's not required. Um, so it's, it's very, it's very important to at least kind of get the best score that you can. And then whether you submit it is up to you. Okay. That's excellent to know. Excellent to know. And then, okay, so two, also, um, how do admission officers view extracurricular activities with their applications? What do you think about that? So we've actually, you know, we, we do a lot of heavy advocacy for, for students, um, at least for the, the colleges that accept advocacy calls, um, because we do have a, a low student to counselor ratio. So I have had the opportunity to um, either read the notes from uh, my teammates uh, with their conversations with the admissions officers or even have those um, conversations myself. And I think the answer is they take it very seriously, um, especially with these test optional kind of cycles, um, it becomes more and more uh, important to have those extracurriculars on your transcript, not only being well-rounded, but like we discussed before, having that commitment to a certain avenue and then leadership in that in that avenue of, of co-curricular. Um, you know, our, our high school has the advantage of being a newer high school. Students are kind of empowered to start their own clubs um, and lead those clubs. So college, you know, colleges are really looking for like people who will be dynamic additions to their campus and start clubs and help build engagement on, on their campus. So yeah, college admissions kind of across the board really, really take it seriously. Although academics always comes first. Right. That's interesting too. I just seeing uh, young people take the leadership role in things because, you know, I always think, I always feel that that, you know, people think that the colleges make the students, but really I think the students make the college reputation yeah. better. The college yeah. knows that. So they look for people who are leaders and, you know, will take chances and go out and do things. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. So what would you think, like, these admission off mission officers, what would they look for in an essay? We do a lot with the college essay. Um, and, you know, that combined with, like, what the letters of recommendation say can really tip the scale in a student's favor um we've we've heard that directly from admissions so the admissions essay i mean it's it's really about being unique and that's tough when you're um a high school student sometimes but it doesn't necessarily we coach our kids to think about it like it's it doesn't have to be necessarily the most unique topic it's kind of the way that you tell it so if it's about soccer, for example, maybe these admissions officers are reading like a thousand essays on soccer or read a thousand essays on soccer, but it's the way that you tell your story about soccer um, and like infuse it with other details about your life and your personality. Um, it's going to make you stand out. So, so yeah, it's yeah. very important. <laughs> it would be, it would be important. <laughs> And so to a lot of students, I don't know if they're all doing these now with the college interviews, but you know, what would a student expect at their college interview? Yeah, we have several students who do college interviews, um, but I would say that 
I mean, we, we have actually like a, a partnership scholarship um, through the Ron Brown Scholars Program and students go through a pretty rigorous interview process for that. And it goes from group interview um, to, yeah, to like individual interviews. And I guess the other, the other um, opportunity that I have experienced coaching for would be like just college rep visits. So less of a rep interview per se, but more of just like the, the reps that visit our school either virtually or in person. And the way to stand out there is, you know, don't be shy, um, especially if it's in a group. <laughs> you want to have them, you know, the reps are the ones that are reading your application. So you want to be able to have them remember your face because that'll allow them to put a face to the name um, when they actually read your, your paperwork. Um, but yeah, just to, to ask good questions um, that are not found on the website necessarily um, and be confident. That would make a difference. <laughs> I do. I even have uh, with my my program. I've got a, a body language coach, mm-hmm. so they know how to talk and use their hands. And but that does yeah. make a difference, even if it's like subconscious. You know. Oh yeah. Can help you, especially in the Zoom world. We we certainly had like switching around, like what's in your background, so, like how are you dressed, um, what is the camera angle? Because I don't know if you did much coaching like in pandemic, but students would do this all the time, just tilt it up. <laughs> Um, so that like half of their face couldn't be seen. Um, and so just breaking those habits, being full face and frame, lighting, very good. Um, everything like super, you know, either blank in the background or just kind of more professional vibe um, rather than like a bed frame. Uh, would be. Right. You see that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> They're in their kitchen. Yeah. Or like too much light in the back. And then yes. they just get this like shadow or something. Yeah. Yeah, lighting does. Oh my gosh, it, it just it make, make them look more professional as yeah. well, which is what they're you know they're looking for. And um, okay, so for applying for early decision and early action, does that give a student a leg up? Yes, it does. Um, early decision certainly, like there, it it gives an academic boost for sure. Um, the admit rates are, I mean, the, the landscape is increasingly very much more competitive. So we really emphasize early decision in our program. Um, early action is another form of demonstrated interest, but because it doesn't help admissions predict their yields, um, because it's not like a binding commitment, it doesn't actually give students as much of a boost over like regular admissions. Early decision, there is a significant boost over regular admissions. Um, for like most colleges that that we've seen um and you know it's not like they'd be inadmissible otherwise but it just give it's it it's advantageous to do it that way um universities are accepting up to 50 percent of their new incoming class um through early decision so yeah it can be it can be pretty pretty significant to make that percent that's huge then okay that's a lot okay yeah Wow. So whether that's like combined, you know, about early decision uh, to like the second round of early decision where it's like mm-hmm. not early, but it's still binding. It's like the one that happens in, in January. Um, yeah, we're seeing them like with ED1 and ED2 combined like 50% of the class. So, oh. Oh, okay. That's I'm glad I asked you that question. That's a good yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to need to know that. And then, um, oh, here's a good here's one. Another one I had was, okay. So when visiting a campus, what, what would you suggest the student do? 
I would say that um, if they're visiting a campus, you know, and it's kind of just like something they're doing with their family and they're just going on a, a general tour, I guess the tour guide, it's kind of, you're not sure if they can necessarily point you in the right direction or answer the questions about your specific program of study. So just come prepared to ask them about like student life type questions um, and then see if they can point you either to a class that you can observe or maybe, yeah, someone that you can speak to in the music department or whatever department you're looking to go into to just really get the most out of uh, that visit experience. Oh, that's a good idea. I also, I uh, tell my music students, it's like, go take a lesson with one of the teachers in there because you can yeah. absolutely do that. And yeah. just go prepared and, and then send them a thank you letter, handwritten, right? Because it just shows you care. I think that's, yeah. That's a good idea too with the uh, going to see a class. They're going to be spending a lot of money <laughs> to go to college, so they should make sure you know they know what that class type's like. Yeah. And okay, also, are you, do you have any other thoughts? I might have missed a question. Anything else about college admissions that you can think of? Yeah, so I think that's. I mean, the, the, the college process is very, it's, there's an added layer. I mean, I've worked with some students who have done like art portfolios um, and some students that have done like theater auditions. But from what I've seen, it's just like everything that college admissions involves, plus this added kind of huge portfolio that you have to put together, or I guess in your, in your student's case, like auditions. Um, are they also recording like a portfolio of work to send to the admissions? Um, they usually have like a strict set, you know, like, uh, you know, they play like scales or, you know, they, a piece, an excerpt from, you know, or an entire first movement of a piece usually is what they wind up doing, I think. So, you know, for music, it would just be that. That's why they, even if you're doing a Zoom audition, they just... You know, you may have to make it look professional. You get up and you play the Mozart concerto, at least the first movement with the cadenza, perhaps, and then send that in, you know. So that's all, like, on top of everything else. Um, so I think yeah. over-preparing, well, music students are always very diligent and they are organized, um, but really, like, over-preparing um, and doing things, like, even earlier than, than maybe your peers are even doing um, because there's just so much more that goes into your application. There is so much more. And, you know, too, and, and I always tell my students, too, because I, I had interviewed uh, Noah Kageyama because he teaches performance psychology at the Juilliard School. And we were talking about how a lot of times students will, the first time they perform it is at their audition. And he said, that's, wow. that's yeah, that's not when you want to practice your performance is then. So they need to seek out every opportunity. As you said, they have to be completely overprepared. You have to play it everywhere at least once a month for someone and, you know, just to get yourself out of that comfort zone because there's a different thought process. I mean, you've performed before, right? And because you were a singer, um, it's different when you step on stage than it is when you're in your practice room. So you have to get your mind on that stage, you know, or in that audition room. Yeah. You know, and, and the thing that takes, you know, just folks who aren't even doing um, music or any other specialized track, um, the, the longest, or it takes people by surprise, like even for the most prepared kids, are supplements. I think maybe it's worth touching on like the college essay, like supplements that come up. So those like miniature questions hmm. um, for like the elite 
colleges, honestly, we've heard from admissions that those are also extremely important as well. And although they're shorter, uh, they can sometimes kind of hide in the common application and students might not know what they are until the last minute. So definitely don't want to rush that aspect and it becomes even more um, important to not rush that and start it early if you're doing a specialized track because you still need to write it. I mean, a lot of schools will say it's optional. We tell our students it's not optional, especially if something is your first choice school, like you have to write it because otherwise it looks like you're just rushing your application. Um, yeah, so getting started early, early um, is very helpful. Getting a lot of people to read what you wrote, just kind of like similar to what you said about getting a lot of people to see and give you feedback on your piece. Um, you need a lot of people to read what you wrote and give you feedback. That's a good idea. Right, even if they took a lesson with the professor, they're the professor at that whatever chosen university they're, they want to go to, um, they know how to get into the university. So those are the people you need to go and take some time and talk to them and play for them and, yeah. and see what's, you know what too, I also, I also have my students like, if they are um, want to apply, I don't know, UCLA or whatever, I'll say, they were like, oh, I don't know how, you know, how do I stack up? I'm like, get on YouTube and check out the recitals at UCLA or the orchestra. How many violas do they have? I had one student who got into Notre Dame because they only had three violas in their orchestra. Yeah. Play viola. So yeah. she got in and she got a little bit of a scholarship. And then after that first year, then she majored in math. Well, I think she was going to major in math anyway, but she played in the orchestra and then after that. So just getting your foot in the door. Yeah. And that's a really good point. I imagine it's almost like recruited athletes where you have to kind of like understand what gaps exist at the school that like maybe you could make you more competitive because they need someone uh, to play that instrument or. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And she didn't want to be a violinist. So she wanted to be a, she wanted to be a math teacher and she did. She, so I was like, okay, let's just get you an viola. And she did, she got in because of that. Cause originally she did not get in. Hmm. And, and then I said, call the music department because they said they were going to give you a scholarship. So the music department pushed to get her in. That's amazing. You know, and uh, yeah, so I always tell everybody, play the viola. You know, if you, <laughs> you want to get in somewhere, play the viola unless they have a huge viola department. And it's just an instrument that not, it's, it's an instrument they all need practically. Mm. Everybody plays violin. It's like, mm -hmm. Myself too, I play viola too. So, okay, I don't think, I think that was it for my questions. My gosh, thank you so much. I can't, I can't think of anything else was the, we were talking about financial aid. Um, or, you know, I guess I could see one more thing. Like, uh, one of my students told me about like online financial aid uh, websites, like Going Merry or something like that. Mm -hmm. Different things where you can get uh, certain financial aid. Would you ever... Have your students, you ever steer your students toward those or you just go, you help them yourself? I feel like that is probably more of a scholarship database. Mm -hmm. um, the financial aid applications that we help the students navigate are the FAFSA, um, so like the federal aid. And then the for New York, it's called TAP, but every state has their own version for state-based aid, which is only really for schools in state. And then of course the CSS profile. So yeah, I mean, we mostly just work with kids to have them do the net price um, calculator for the schools. And then also um, through the college board where you, you know, take SAT, they, they also 
um, College Board is what operates the CSS profile, which is the application for like institutional, like private institutional grants. Um, so they will let you calculate your family's expected family contribution. Um, so you kind of know what number the government uh, is thinking that you can pay. And you just kind of go from there. I mean, it's I definitely like, it's a, it's a tricky time right now. Um, it's almost the most tricky for folks that are like right in that middle. So like middle income, middle performing um, academically. Um, we've seen that with the right help, the students who can take really the most out of the current college landscape are those who are high performing with very low income um, or, you know, people who have extremely high income, which I don't work with many families who, or any families who are in that boat, but the ones that are really tricky, which is, is just, ugh, it's so tough are the ones that are in the middle. Interesting. Um, cool. Yeah. Cause the EFC is often wildly kind of like higher um, than what is actually affordable for the family, um, especially with like cost of living in New York. So, yeah. Yeah. Cost of living in New York is really high. Yeah. San Diego too. It's, it's yeah. crazy here. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. And I know all of my students who are going to listen to this will appreciate this because wow. this is just really, especially man, the, the getting funds for college is really huge right now. And I know, so a lot of people are out of work still come, even after the lockdown and everything the pandemic yeah so, and sort of. you know like i was saying i mean if the student is high performing that makes them eligible you know it's it's very tough um that's the situation that i was in applying to college but really it it advantaged me in hindsight in terms of like the amount of federal aid that i my family qualified for mm -hmm. um because that efc was like a lot lower um, quite frankly. So if they're in that situation, it's almost like there's, there's especially a lot of hope because they're not, the government's not going to think that your family can pay a lot of money. You just have to apply strategically to the right schools. Like, um, you know, in, in New York, the state, the state schools are not, unless you go through like a special type of entry program, they're not going to be free. Um, whereas like we've seen packages from, you wanted me to say some names of schools, right? I'd, I'd be happy to see like the liberal arts colleges in the Northeast um, that are like very selective. So the Swarthmore's, the Williams, like those types of schools, you barely have loans, um, like even like federal student loans, if your family has like a low EFC um, and it's, it's basically free. Wow. So yeah, okay. <laughs> if you can get, if, if you get your grades up and you're eligible for those types of schools that um, are full need, then you can really you can really do do well. Um, there are schools that also, you know, accepting students that have like more like a 3.2 GPA on a four point scale. So students who are like a mixture of A and B, um, like Trinity College is one that we've seen, College of the Holy Cross. I mean, this is all East Coast based, but mm -hmm. there's certainly, I'm sure like in California, it's like the five, um, the sister colleges. So like the Claremont McKenna, the Pomona, those up there, mm -hmm. those little uh, cluster like Occidental um, they give really good financial aid too. Oh, excellent. Occidental. I knew someone who went there. He did really well in life too. He, well, he still is. <laughs> oh, thanks. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's all I can think of for now. Great. You know, um, if you want, 
have any more questions, I'll send you an email. <laughs> okay, sounds good. And here, let me turn off the recording. Excellent. Okay. Thank you so much. And turn off my recording.